Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And joining me today is Dr. Zach Crevor, the CEO of Launch, a company started in 2011 by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen and Scaled Composites founder and aircraft design legend Bert Rutan. Two more economically launched satellites into orbit from what was uh, or what still is the world's largest aircraft. It has now evolved into a commercial company uh, purchased in 2019 by Cerberus Capital that is focused on more quickly developing and testing hypersonic weapons through rapid design and prototyping. The company is now uh, developing and testing its own technology, but also helping the government as well as other companies test their well uh, wares as well. Zach, thanks so very much for joining us. Thank you, Vago. Really appreciate and thanks very much for having me here today. Uh, it's an it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, we're always attracted to interesting uh, interesting companies. Um, before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. And Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. You know, the, the U.S. was a hypersonic leader uh, for many years, uh, and then we sort of stopped uh, working on the technology about a decade ago. Uh, China and Russia have continued. Uh, working and now have the lead and indeed fielded uh, weapons, as we saw Russia demonstrate uh, in Ukraine. Uh, We are now making this a national priority. The United States Army is tasked with fielding a strategic hypersonic capability in the form of a battery by 2023, and each of the services are pursuing their own programs. So the race is on, but there aren't enough test ranges or facilities, right? I mean, at the end of the day, this is about being able to hang something off a B-52. It's about being able to have a military aircraft like a C-17 get, you know, help do the testing. Uh, And we just don't have enough of that. Where does Stratolaunch fit into this national hypersonic development ecosystem? That's exactly right, Vago. We are missing another capability out there, which is really to do repeatable and reusable and rapid flight tests. So direct access to the hypersonic environment with a capability that actually lingers in the hypersonic mock regime and then can do it for an affordable price. And that's where Straddle Launch comes in. The goal here, the ethos of our company really is to augment a lot of the great facilities that we have, a lot of the great test capabilities that do exist, but frankly are backlogged, maybe cost a bit more, especially as you have to line up a variety of assets to capture all the data. And Stratolaunch really becomes that one-stop shop where you can go and test your payloads, your technologies, verify the capabilities, do it on a weekly basis, and really accelerate your own deployment of capability. I mean, I'm not even sure. Are there any competitors in your field or are you guys pretty much uh, unique? Uh, and what are the skill sets that you guys are bringing to the party? Aside from, for example, your your own hardware, for example, which I know you have, and you have one of the coolest airplanes ever made in your inventory. Oh, well, thank you very much. We're certainly proud of our carrier aircraft. Yes, we are a bit unique. There are certainly elements and other groups that are performing uh, portions of hypersonic testing, whether it's, of course, our ground facilities, a variety of other flight test facilities or flight test capabilities. But really, we're unique because we're able to launch and test these payloads and these technologies and bring them back. 
and use them again, and then go ahead and fly again a week later. And so really the goal is there's a subset of capabilities that are needed to demonstrate in that operational environment and to do it quickly, and then to iterate and demonstrate it again, make some changes, upgrade the capability, go test again. And that's really where we fit in so that we really can accelerate the technologies and meet the need that's been identified from the Pentagon for these leap ahead capabilities. Um, you mentioned uh, being able to do this rapidly. Um, you guys have invested quite a lot in your own internal rapid prototyping and design uh, capability that's uh, yielded results in the Talon test vehicle. Talk to us a little bit about the approach uh, and how you guys are able to move uh, at speed and then uh, right adapt at speed going forward. Certainly. The key for us was really, A, making sure that found the right talent and skill sets. And so big credit to our company in that we're able to do all of the engineering and manufacturing in-house here for these vehicles. And then the key to the process for us was making sure that the customer technology was the experiment, that we were going to be testing those high um, high need areas, low technology readiness levels, that our offerings were based uh, on existing capabilities. So for example, our carrier aircraft, it is a unique structure design, but it uses all commercial aircraft parts in terms of the moving components. The Talon vehicle, actually our secret sauce is we're integrating a lot of components that have actually flown in the hypersonic mock regime before. And so therefore, when a customer brings us their technology, A, they have confidence that they know our Talon vehicles are going to work, and B, they know that their technology will receive the focus uh, because of our reliance on existing hardware. So how do you do a reusable uh, vehicle? And given how much is different with hypersonic glide bodies and the like, how are you able to use one test vehicle to be able to do that? So I guess it's a two-part question, because there are some people who are trying to visualize what it is you do and how you do it. Sure. What really the easiest way to think about it is Talon is a rocket powered airplane. And that's the secret to our success. We design it from an aircraft perspective, which means that it actually has a flight envelope. And so therefore we can go Mach 6 this week. Next week we can go Mach 5 in a different dynamic pressure. We've had customers ask us about going for Mach 4, lingering in the atmosphere a little bit longer. And so again, when you bring that aircraft perspective to hypersonics, which traditionally has been focused, and rightly so, on a specific set of flight conditions to meet a certain mission, and you take a step back and say, okay, if we bring an aircraft perspective, can we go ahead and design it for a variety of different mission sets? The answer is yes, we've been able to do that, and that's what we're bringing forward. Um, What is the test schedule you guys have coming up and some of the customers uh, that you guys are uh, supporting because your first launch is right around the corner, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. I mean, we're certainly proceeding to a series of flight tests later this year. The goal is to do a subsonic demonstrator where we're specifically focused on characterizing the separation environment between our carrier aircraft and the talent vehicle. Certainly, of course, we've done millions of simulations on it, but we have to get our own flight test as well, much like many of our customers. The goal then is to charge a a few months after that, get to a hypersonic flight test and all leading up to operate what we call operational flights in the latter half of next year, which means we are flying the reusable Talon vehicles, landing on a runway 
and doing that in the latter half of 2023. And are you at liberty to disclose the, your customers? I'm not at this time. Uh, we're very excited to work with them. I will tell you it's a combination of uh, government and industry customers, but at this time, and for their own interests as well, uh, we are not disclosing them at this time. Well, we, we hope that by the time you make that first uh, series of announcements, we will, we will know more uh, about that. Um, Zach, this is an, a national priority, right? Everybody talks about going faster. You certainly uh, are talking about it, and indeed, in terms of your investments, trying to do that. And if, if you look at the speed with which Neil Thurgood is, is driving the Army hypersonic uh, portfolio and, and indeed is being a little bit of a lead agent in that, is, is really incredible. Uh, and he is acting as a force of nature. From from your standpoint, is the government going as fast as we need to be going? And what are some ways as somebody who's who's spent time in this ecosystem as you have, we, what is it we could be doing to actually move um, faster? Certainly. I think there are, well, there's always, even for us, if you were to look at our company, you could ask, are we going as as fast as possible. So I think there's always improvements to be considered out there. That being said, it's very impressive that now there's a number of different mission sets and capabilities that are being fielded. You mentioned Ricto, for example, coming online next year. Congratulations to the the multiple Hawk teams for their successful flights. Arrow just flew successfully. So it's really great to see these capabilities starting to be tested in the actual flight environment. Um, That being said, What could make us go faster? Well, being able to iterate and use a capability in the actual flight environment. So you create that certainty around your design. Not only do you anchor your models and simulations, but now you know your design, your key technology is gonna work in the hypersonic flight environment. That's what Strata Launch brings. And so we think by bringing that online and being able to do it, like I said, at a weekly pace, now don't get me wrong, we won't get to a weekly pace in the latter half next year, but 24, 25, getting to that kind of pace where now you know you can bring your technology forward, test it in the environment, iterate it quickly, release it again, make the upgrade. Now I know it works. I get it on the full system. And now we have that operational certainty. We really think that will accelerate the pace of various developments. Um, I was uh, talking to uh, a friend about uh, what it is you guys do in preparing for this interview. Uh, And there... Um, and they were talking about how actually th- that some of those who want to test uh, want to claim proprietary rights to the data of the people that they're testing it on behalf, right? And and we and this is a friend of mine who focuses a lot on data uh, in general and data rights and the like. From your perspective and Strata Launch's perspective, how are you handling that uh, division of labor, right? I mean, you need access to some of this data. But then again, the customer wants you to test some things that he does not, they don't necessarily want you to, uh, you know, gain proprietary rights to that data. How do you handle this, Zach, uh, in, a, in a world where data rights are becoming um, increasingly important, but also bones of contention and actually impediments to progress in some cases? And we have seen that at times where it could be impediments of progress. Our ethos is really to be easy to work with. And so, frankly, what we have to do is make sure that the technology flying on our hypersonic vehicles airworthy. So in other words, it's not presenting an unjustifiable risk to our talent vehicles, but otherwise that data is 
is not for us. That's really the customers. It's proprietary to them. Certainly, we will take data about the actual flight so we can continue to evolve and upgrade our own talent capabilities. But the customer data, that, that belongs to them. That's, there's no interest from us. We're not trying to grow or learn uh, based on what a customer is providing to us. Really, we see it as a partnership. Customers are trusting us to take care of their payloads, give them a data set back that represents flying in that environment. And that's our job. How they handle that data, what they do with it, of course, that all belongs to them. It's not our job to really get in the weeds and try to understand exactly how their experiment works. We want to make sure it's safe for our air crew. It's safe for our team to operate. But from there, it's their data. Um, our, you know, one of the, the questions is, um, you know, creating a national hypersonic industrial base, right? General Thurgood has discussed this, that, that, that we're basically, you know, building something as we go along. Um, how are we doing on that broader, from that broader ecosystem standpoint? And what are the challenges that you think folks in the Pentagon have to focus on and folks even in, you know, that lawmakers should be focused on as well uh, about making investment, right? I mean, everything is uh, a priority, but ultimately this is a national capability that also is not just a technological hurdle, but also an industrial challenge. Well, I think already some of these initial investments that are occurring, whether it's the Yucca program, that's run out of Texas A&M. Certainly Purdue is doing quite a bit and forming a consortium working with Navy Crane and a variety of partners up there and demonstrating to the students, to that next generation, that, that hypersonics is really here to stay. As referenced earlier, right, as China and Russia started accelerating ahead of us, uh, we stopped investing as much in hypersonics. And if you look historically at hypersonics, it's really been very cyclical. So now what we really need to make sure that there's a good industrial base is make sure that it's not cyclical anymore, that there is a constant investment, that this we are continuing to develop our capabilities in this area, this critical national security need of strategic importance. And then I think from there, it's echoing what a number of others have said, which is bridging that uh, shadow of the valley of death there where a lot of capabilities, a lot of technologies are getting to the point where they need flight testing, but they're dying there because they can't get rides or they can't get onto a system. And so making sure that our communities, our aerospace communities are not only designing and building products, but they're actually getting tested. So they're learning. We're starting to uncover areas that we didn't expect because we just haven't been in that operational environment. That's what we need to do next. Are there any big technological hurdles from your standpoint, or is this more just, as they would say in the military, sets and reps, and um, you know, it's just more about the doing than it is about developing the technology? No, I think there's still a lot that we need to learn. I mean, again, congratulations to those Hawk teams. What they did was a very impressive achievement, at least, again, just referring to what's out in the public. Um, but what we need to be able to do is start to increase speeds. Uh, going from Mach 6 test to say Mach 10, we're going to learn a lot, especially as we start to go increase those Mach regimes and really start to see the physics change, uh, specifically as the air around the vehicle starts to change as you're increasing those speeds. And we just have a lot to learn about controlling vehicles in that environment. Also, what happens as we do sustained range at those hypersonic speeds? Do we have the materials to handle it? So not only is there a strong volume of work, a large volume of work, but there's some 
significant technical learning that we have to do to really uncover what is it going to be like to actually operate in those uh, environments for longer ranges and, like I said, increased mock regimes. How do you rank where our adversaries are from what you understand? Let's see. What can I reveal? What can I say publicly? Uh, what, I, what I can say here is that certainly we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we really need to. I'm glad to see this, this large investment uh, by the department and by the government, as you can see, uh, with a variety of budget requests that have been coming out. It's great to see the, uh, the bipartisan support for it. And so what I'll say is that needs to continue. We need to continue to grow that so we can really enable the leap ahead vision from the Department of Defense. What's the growth strategy? Uh, you work for uh, a, um, an organization that prides itself on generating returns. Where do you expect Stratolaunch to be in five years, Zach? We expect to be going faster, to be going at those increased ranges. Customers are already coming to us and asking for capability. They love our talent capability, but they ask for what's next. And I think it just fits with the whole theme of accelerating this hypersonics development that we can start to offer capabilities to test customers, technologies now that we're going at those higher speeds, uh, whether it's Mach 10, Mach 12, we're going thousands of nautical miles. And that really continues to grow our capabilities for this company, providing that return for our customers, but then doing something really special for this nation. Uh, and do you have a percentage uh, growth figure in mind over the next five years? Oh, certainly we have internal targets. I'm sorry, I'm just not at liberty to provide those today. But our belief is that if we're continuing to meet the mission needs of our customers, really providing that growth to those additional capabilities that I just listed, that we'll be able to provide the returns for our owners that they're looking for. That's terrific. Uh, Zach Fairwind's following seas, break a leg. Look forward to staying in touch. And uh, I think it's a, it's a really uh, fascinating time and it's going to be very interesting to watch uh, the role that you guys play in this ecosystem. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Vago. Really appreciate it. We'd love to come back and chat some more after we have our first series of flight tests, let you know how those go and, and we can take another look at the ecosystem, see what's going on. Uh, indeed. And uh, the first test is slated for next increase in capability demonstrations from our carrier aircraft flights uh, will happen over the next month to six weeks. And then our big test that uh, that first separation test, uh, we're looking for a late quarter three, early quarter four of this year. Terrific. Thanks again. Great. Thanks again for the time. Talk to you soon. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report, and check us out on LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.